sure uh, whether or not you're familiar with the name Laura Muir. Not sure if she was in the news when I was away on holiday or not, but Laura Muir, okay, it's that uh, <laughs> rather unfortunate Scottish athlete. There's a lot of unfortunate Scottish athletes. But she's the one who was running, I think it was the 1,500 metres at the Commonwealth Games, and she's running well. Having run most of the race, she's kind of approaching the final straight, you know, and she was tripped by an opponent, and she fell over, and she was unable to, to, to complete the race. Okay, that's Laura Muir. Well, to be honest, I'm hoping that that is not what happens to us. See, God willing, here's the plan. God willing, the plan is that we conclude this part of our series in Genesis in Genesis 25. Okay, that's, it comes to a, a natural conclusion there at the end of this sort of toledot. And uh, so we're on the kind of, on the, we're approaching the home straight here in Genesis 21. And I, re- I hope tonight with this treaty, this rather strange treaty at Beersheba, I hope we do not trip and fall. Okay. Now, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in Genesis, so the obvious question to ask is, where were we? Let's try and think about where we were last time. It's important, actually. Okay. In chapter 20, let's think about this, in the previous chapter, remember what we'd seen? We'd seen a sort of dramatic encounter between a guy, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, and Abraham. Do you remember that? Abraham had lied to this guy. Remember he had lied to the king? He had failed to tell him that Sarah was his wife. And this was a lie, no ordinary lie. This was a lie that led to total misery for this king, Abimelech. Misery for him, misery actually for his whole household. So you got that. Then, in the next section, so it's the one if you look down at your Bible, the one sort of immediately preceding the one that we're in tonight, what had we seen? Well, we'd seen the birth of Isaac. You know, at last we saw the birth of Isaac. I mean, we waited months to get to the birth of Isaac. You know, from chapter 12, the promise of the seed right the way through chapter after chapter, well, we've seen it. We've seen the, the fulfillment of this promise of offspring. Isaac is born. Well, Tonight, what we've got here in front of us is not only another episode that involves this guy, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, but what we've got is an event that, again, you are only going to understand. I am only going to understand this event if we view it through the lens of the covenant promises that God had given to Abraham in chapter 12. Okay, we won't understand this bizarre portion of scripture unless we are thinking covenantally. Okay, so with that said, if you don't have your Bible open, please open it to Genesis 21, 22. And tonight we notice three things. This is our first heading. It's this seeking peace with the author of the gospel. That's our first heading, seeking peace peace 
with the author of the gospel. Okay, so what happens here? What is this portion of scripture, these short verses, what is it all about? Well, it starts off, doesn't it, with Abimelech, and he's got another guy with him, Jassim Phicol, who is the commander of his army. So if you want, it's, it's the king alongside the sort of the commander of all his forces. And they go to Abraham, and they are seeking to enter into some sort of treaty. It's really important we get that. They go to him. They're looking to enter into a covenant or some sort of bond. Now, look at the first three words, verse 22. It says, eh, at that time. Now, that could actually mean a couple of things. Now, at that time, it could mean that this meeting that we've got here, Abraham and Abimelech coming together to discuss this treaty, it could mean that that it comes straight away after the previous section birth Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar sent into the wilderness. So it could at that time, could be at the time of that but in the original language that expression is not quite as tight or as definite as that and I think more probably what we've got there is that this meeting that took place between Abraham and Abimelech it actually took place immediately after all the problems that happened with Abimelech and Abraham and that lie that Abraham told about Sarah. Okay, now, uh, I'm sure you get what the treaty is all about, do you? You see that this is all about a treaty where Abimelech the king is wanting what? Peace. Yeah. I mean, this this is a sort of a non-aggression pact or an agreement. This is a covenant of peace that Abimelech wants with Abraham here. So that's fine. We get that. But it raises the question, why? I mean, he's the king, okay? Why does he want this peace, this this pact with Abraham? Now, why does he want it? Well, Well, to answer that, do you know what we've got to do? We've actually got to try and get ourselves into Abimelech's size nines, okay? We, we're going to understand this. We've got to think about what's Abimelech's situation. If he's wanting peace with Abraham, why? What's going on in his life? Now, think about what we saw last time out. This is really, really important. Abimelech is a man here who has just endured total misery isn't he i mean he is a man who has just been very very seriously ill do you remember that you know abraham's lied and as a result of that abimelech's had this really serious disease that affected his sexual function shall we say but it's a serious serious illness that seems to have lasted a long time and not just that his whole family think about this his whole family, all the people he knew, his whole household were, were ill. Do you remember when we saw that all the women in his family were unable to, 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 to give birth, to have children? Do you see it? This guy coming for peace, he's endured this wretched, horrible time of things, okay? On top of that as well, I think perhaps Abimelech is scared here of military reprisal or military uprising from Abraham. I mean, he knows. I mean, he knows how powerful Abraham is. 
He knows, he sees the, the growth of Abraham's household. He sees the success this man has. And so Abimelech goes to him, but he makes sure he goes to him with Phicol, the commander of his army. And then there's definitely tension going on between Abraham and Abimelech. Right? We know from earlier on in Genesis with Lot how very difficult it was for two groups of people, successful groups of people, to live together and inhabit the same stretch of land. Remember that? You know, Lot had to leave Abraham because they just, the land couldn't contain and support the two groups. And what else do we know? We know from last time that part of the agreement between Abraham and Abimelech was that Abraham was allowed to live on Abimelech's land. And with this well that is read here, there's clearly tension going on between Abimelech and Abraham. Now, do you see the point? You put all those pieces of the jigsaw together. Do you see the point we've got here? This guy, Abimelech, is absolutely miserable. I mean, that's the reason that he's going to Abraham. He's going to him because he's just tired. I mean, he's just had a horrendous time of it. He is fatigued and he goes to Abraham because he just wants rest, man. He goes, he wants some meaningful peace. And because of that, I think that the contemporary application of this is really not all that difficult to pinpoint, is it? Because this weariness the yearning for some sort of rest from the, the, the difficult, horrible situations of our, our lives. Rest from it. Is that not what so many people in the city want? Is that not what so many people even here right now are desperate for? I mean, think about it. I mean, what have we seen already in the news this week? The death of Robin Williams. You know, and, 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 and with that, what happens? Well, the, the, the subject of suicide, again, sort of raises its ugly head. But it's true, isn't it, that many people get to the point of such misery, such exhaustion with their situation and with their life that they consider taking their own life. Many people perhaps don't quite get to that stage, but they do get to such fatigue and exhaustion that they look for rest in the wrong places. They look for rest in just, just any sort of escapism. They look for rest even in materialism. Well, what I want us to see about this guy, Abimelech, in Genesis chapter 1, 21, is that he knew where to look for genuine and real peace. Because where does he go? For peace. He goes to Abraham. Now, you might say, okay, he goes to Abraham because, well, Abraham's the thorn in his side. The reason he goes to Abraham is because Abraham's the guy on his, on his land. Abraham's the, 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 the thorn in his side, the pain in his neck, if you like. And that's right, of course that's right, but there's more to it. Abimelech goes to Abraham because he knows that God is on. Abraham's side. He knows 
that with God, if God could only be on his side, he knows that, yes, then there will be proper, meaningful rest, proper, meaningful peace. Look at it. Verse 22. He comes with Phicol and he comes to Abraham and he's, he's wanting peace. Can I have peace? Why will I go Abraham, he says. God is with you. He's with you, Abraham, in everything you do. And so now I urge you here, just now, think about the people of this city. I urge you now to think about the people in your life. Let me give you a verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 59. It says this. The roads of those who are outside of salvation, their roads are crooked. And no one who walks on those roads knows peace. No one outside of salvation knows peace. Isn't that true for the people in your life? They don't know peace. They are searching for peace. And what do you know as a Christian? What do we know? We know that just as Abimelech came to the man of God to find this truce of peace, we know that everyone who seeks genuinely the true man of God, Jesus Christ, they will find that rest. They will find that peace that they are looking for. Friends, peace comes in, in Jesus Christ. We are on the side of the Lord. And this man, Abimelech, he could see it. So seeking peace with the author of the gospel. Okay, let's move on. Let's think about the uh, second of our three headings tonight. Okay. Our second heading is exploiting opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. We've seen seeking peace, now exploiting opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. Okay, we see what's going on in the chapter, don't we? We've got Abimelech approach Abraham for peace because he knows that God's with this guy. Okay, now what we find is that Abraham agrees to this treaty, doesn't he? A bit like comes to him, the king comes to him, Abraham basically says, peace treaty, no worries, that's fine. Okay, verse 24, he says, I will swear it. An important element, though, for us is what Abraham does prior to entering into this peace treaty. That's what I want us to focus on. What does he do? prior to entering the peace treaty. Do you see what he says? Abraham adds a sort of clause to this idea of a treaty, doesn't he? Before he jumps in and he signs this, he adds a sort of caveat because he brings up to, to Abimelech the matter of this well. Um, you know, this, this seems to be something that Abraham has, has built or had built by his guys. They've had a well built. And Abimelech's men, have, or they've come in and there's water here, so they want this. They've kind of commandeered the well, taken it from themselves. And Abraham's like, well, hang on a second. No, I want that. That's mine. 
And he wants that included as a clause, if you like, into uh, this treaty. Now, I know what you're thinking, (laughs) I think. Pretty insignificant. A clause on a treaty thousands of years ago, a bit of well. (laughs) Okay, he's thinking it's kind of insubstantial. I cannot stress to you how important this well is. For a couple of reasons. The one's kind of obvious. What do we know about Abraham? We know that he led this sort of semi-nomadic life. You, you know, a, a, a life that kind of needed a reliable source of water. So just from that practical point of view, the well's important, isn't it? Just so he could sustain his, his household, okay? But the well is... Uh, the well is much more important than that. The well is incredibly important and is important in a significant way, a way that sheds light on what this bizarre passage of Scripture is all about. Because I, I, I know you must be asking this, you know. If you are here tonight and you're thinking about this, you're asking, what is this portion of Scripture all about? Are you not? I mean, on one side of it, I mean, it's... On one side of it, you've got one of the great high peaks of Genesis. You've got the birth of Isaac, you know, the promised child. You've got that on one side. The other side, what are we going to get to? Do you see it? We've got that great testing of Abraham on Mount Moriah. You know, when he brings up his son and dagger in the ear and about to kill him. The two peaks. And in the middle, we've got a treaty about a well, why has God preserved this? I tell you, this well is so important because it marks a significant step in the fulfillment of God's covenantal promises to Abraham. Let me say that again. The well is important because it marks progression. It marks a significant step in the fulfillment of those covenantal promises that God gave Genesis chapter 12. See, in chapter 12, do you remember what God promised Abraham? Promised him loads and loads of things. But he promised him seed, didn't he? Do you remember? He promised him offspring. And he promised him land. Now in one section here, We've got the promise of seed fulfilled. I promise you offspring, we see the birth of Isaac. You move on to the next section of scripture. What was the other thing? He's promised land. And what have we got here? We have got, for the very first time, part of the promised land in this treaty, officially, legally, being signed over to the patriarch, Abraham. Do you begin to see what's going on here? Do you begin to see the significance of this? This is God fulfilling his promise. In this tree, in this well, for the first time, the land, the promised land, has been signed over to Abraham. It's awesome. But what I want us to see is how um, Abraham exploited the, the circumstances and the situation that he was in 
to work towards God's purposes here. Now, you get what I mean, do you? You see what I mean? How he exploited the circumstances. Do you see that he utilized the situation with Abimelech? Abimelech coming to him. Abraham utilizes the situation to secure the rights to the well. You know, I don't know. Put yourself in, in Abraham's shoes. The king, you know, your landlord comes to you. And he comes with Fikel. I'm, I'm guessing Fikel's a bit of a mean dude, right? You know, the, the, the chief of the armed forces, a warrior. These two guys come to you and they say, we want a peace treaty with you. Your reaction is going to be, well, a peace treaty with these guys? <laughs> Seems pretty good, you know. You, you expect Abraham to say, okay, where do I sign? But he doesn't say that, does he? Instead, he engineers the situation to secure the well. He engineers, he utilizes this whole situation to work towards God's purposes. And with that, what I want to do just now tonight is really here and now to call for a change in the way that we view eh, the circumstances of our lives really to call for a change in the way that we view all the events and all the circumstances of our our lives. Like, you've all heard of, of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I presume. Um, if you haven't, look up Charles Haddon Spurgeon, please. Uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, great preacher many years ago in, in London. Now, I love Spurgeon. I think most Christians love Spurgeon. Lots of preachers love Spurgeon. And they love him because he had a different way of viewing the world, didn't he? If you've ever read Spurgeon, you will know this. You know, Spurgeon sort of looked at everything in life with a gospel vision. That's what he did, you know. He was always looking at the world and seeing sort of even in the trivial things, seemingly trivial, he would look at them and he would see God's hand. You know, he would see God's goodness, God's grace, and the really small things of life. He was always using the seemingly uh, mundane to point people to Jesus Christ. And that is the sort of thing that I'm talking about tonight. That's the sort of thing that I'm calling for. We need to change. Just as Spurgeon had a different view of the world, we need to have a different way of viewing the world. Different to the people around us. You know, instead of tomorrow, just plowing through the day, as we normally do. Instead of this week, taking each day as it comes and just plowing through, just trying to get through to the end of the day. What we need to do is do as Abraham does here in Genesis chapter 21. And we need to be constantly on the lookout for opportunities to exploit the circumstances that we are in, to exploit them, to to utilize the situations of tomorrow for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you want some illustrations? Okay, let's say you're having a hard time at work. You're having a miserable time at work. Utilize it. Use that. 
if you are wronged by your group friends, if you've fallen out with these people, be thinking like Abraham here. If you have that diagnosis has come in recently and you are ill, you use it. Don't react in the same way as the rest of the world. Use it. Utilize it. Think about it in the same way as, as, as Abraham. Think, is there any way I can use this, work this, so that I can speak to somebody about Jesus Christ? Can I take that horrible circumstance, that, that difficult circumstance, is there any way that I can respond in a way that is gracious and loving and that will point people, that will point people to where they can be saved from their sin. Like, I, I hope that when you look at Genesis 21, you look at it and you see, actually, Abraham was clever here. I don't know if this is wrong, whether I should say this, but he seems kind of spiritually cunning in a way, doesn't he? That he's using the suggestion of a treaty here to secure a promise in the covenant of grace. Now, friends, because it is for the eternal good of the people that you know, we too should utilize and exploit any circumstance we are in, all for the glory of God. So we see here exploiting opportunities for the furtherance of the gospel. Okay. We've seen Abimelech and Phicoh. Abimelech comes, suggests this peace treaty. We've seen Abraham respond, say, okay, no problem, but not before adding that caveat and that clause. Third, last point. Let's consider thanking God for the permanence of the gospel. Thanking God for the permanence of the gospel. So, there is a right here that takes place. This treaty is signed. Do you see how it's signed? Uh, thankfully, Bob, we don't have to do this with the Church of England and the use of the building. But what happens is that cattle and sheep are taken out and they are used and slaughtered uh, in the, the formalizing of this peace treaty. And, and Abraham, I'm sure you noticed this, Abraham takes extra lambs. Uh, because of what's happened before with Abimelech, he takes extra lambs, gives them to him, to sort of speak to his sincerity and honesty in this treaty. And it's all signed and sealed at a place thereafter known as Beersheba. Okay. But really and truly, I think that it would be remiss of us as a congregation tonight to end without having looked at the rather strange behavior of Abraham after the treaty was signed. Did you see what he did? Look what he does. You've got Abimelech and Abraham. They've signed the treaty. There's peace. They go their separate ways. And these, these guys, they've gone, and they are now, both of them, really content with the terms of the treaty. Look what Abraham does in verse 33. Have a look. Verse 33. What does he do? He plants a tree. Kind of 
It's not an everyday occurrence, is it? It's not like we read a lot about that sort of stuff in the Bible. Abraham, after this treaty, he goes and plants a tamarisk tree, and there he calls upon the name of the Lord. Now, that's pretty strange, isn't it? Pretty weird that we have the patriarch Abraham planning, to actually, no, it's not. This is not a strange thing to see, is it? Because what we've got there is a symbolic act of thanksgiving. I mean, think about how it is for Abraham here. I mean, he is just blown away by the faithfulness of God. I mean, he knows that God has really behind all of this. He knows that it's God that sent Abimelech to him. He's just seen the promise of seed fulfilled. He's just seen the promise of land partly fulfilled here. His heart is just bursting open with, with amazement and with gratitude to God. So he's, he's down in the ground and he's, he's planting a tree and he's worshipping God. Now what does that mean for you this week? What does that mean for us? Well, I think we see in, in Abraham's actions here a pattern for the way that we should be living tonight and tomorrow and the next day, a pattern for our life this whole week. Because let's get this right. Why is Genesis important? We are God's covenant people. You're a Christian tonight. You are a covenant child of God. And that means that you too should be praising God for the fulfillment of covenant that Abraham is seeing here. Now think about this. We've seen that part of the covenant was fulfilled in the birth of Isaac. And we have seen that part of the covenant was fulfilled in this well, in this new part of ownership here. But have a look at the name given to God in verse 33. The very, very unusual name given to God in verse 33. Do you see it? It is the eternal God. Now, does that not sit there to remind us of the other aspect of the covenant? The eternal God. This is there to, to remind us that this covenant of grace was not just signed with Abraham, but it was signed with Abraham and his descendants. That is there to remind us that God had promised through Abraham to bring blessing to all the nations of the world. And do you see that as you sit here in church tonight, that not only have the other parts of the covenant been fulfilled, but in the coming into the world of Jesus Christ, that aspect too is being, has been fulfilled by God. And that surely means that as you sit here tonight, you should be, as Abraham was, our patriarch, our forefather. We should be living in thanksgiving. Now, at seminaries all throughout the world, sort of preaching lecturers, homiletics teachers are all going to say the same thing. They will say to all their students, okay, you're preaching. And you're going to provide a sermon illustration. The key thing about a sermon illustration is that it must be really relevant to people's lives. You know, it must be something from everyday life. 
that you use to illustrate your point. Well, typically, scrap that, you know? And let's have an illustration from the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament. But think about it. What did the priests have to do? Do you remember? They had to make an atonement for sin, for the sins of the people, didn't they? They had to make that sacrifice. Then what did they have to do? They then had to make a separate sacrifice of thanksgiving, didn't they? And what do we learn about that second sacrifice in the New Testament? We learn, the Apostle Paul tells us that since Jesus Christ on the cross has dealt with that, that main atoning sacrifice once and for all, that he's dealt with sin, we don't have to do that again. Paul tells us that that second and subsequent sacrifice, that is for you to deal with, that your life should be a living sacrifice, that your life should be this, this life of symbolic gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving to God. Friends, Abraham symbolically thanked God because of his goodness to him, because of what God has done for you. And sending Jesus into the world, do you know what you need to do tonight and tomorrow? You need to go out there and you need to plant trees. That's what you need to do. We all need to go out tomorrow and live and act in a way that shows our gratitude for the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sin. I sincerely hope that we have not tripped up on this treaty of Bersheba. I'll be honest with you. I looked at this and I nearly had a, 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 a heart attack, you know. But once we get our heads around the well, once we get our heads around the fact that in the ownership of land, God was fulfilling his purposes to Abraham, once we see that God is fulfilling the covenant to us in Jesus Christ, we are surely left praising our eternal God. To him be all the glory. Let's pray.